How's it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition number 54 of Joe vs. World. It is time for another Ring of Honor wrap-up, which means another visit from our very own Ring of Honor correspondent, Matt Foy. Matt, how you doing? Hello, hello. Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. On a, on a nice Tuesday night. And um, quite a bit's happened since we had you last on to discuss ROH, which was during the 50-year festival, I believe. Yeah, that... Yeah, that that seemed like a big deal at the time, but I guess uh, they had bigger plans. Yes, the the big news, as everyone knows, of course, is that Ring of Honor is coming to pay-per-view. And uh, much has been said about this, but the basic deal is they're offering six taped pay-per-view shows a year, uh, bi-monthly, of course. And what did you think when you heard they were going to pay-per-view, and what do you think of this plan? Well, I was I was legitimately surprised. Um, I I mean I. I, you know, Gates Polsky had always kind of said that they were pretty content to just slowly grow their DVD business, but I guess uh, Carrie Silkin, the uh, owner of Ring of Honor, was uh, not quite as content. He was probably, or apparently, according to Gabe, growing a little bit impatient with the uh, with the slow progress, if, if any progress, and apparently the DVD sales had plateaued, so uh, I guess this was the uh, risk they had to take. Yeah, I don't. They say there's not a lot of risk, and I'm sure there is some financial risk involved, but probably not a lot. And either, I mean, if it is a situation, if it, it doesn't work, they can just simply cease having pay-per-views. But I don't think this will be a, a cash cow of any of any sort. But the risk is low, and I, I, they'll get some exposure out of it. And I think some people may be surprised by uh, the amount of buys they'll do. Not that they'll beat WWE or even TNA, but it. I think it'll do better than a lot of people think. Well, uh, uh, my expectations are on the low side for this just because just the pay-per-view market is so saturated and mm. they've had so many, you know, no-name or small-name pay-per-views on uh, in-demand and on-demand over the over the years, you know, the Japanese hardcore stuff. And, sure. you know, nobody buys that. Nobody pays any attention to it. And, um, you, know, you know, I don't know what... I mean, I'll have to see what kind of advertising they do because they did hire a... Um, a firm, right, to promote the uh, for the shows. I forget what it's called, but they must be paying pretty good money for that. And um, and you know, hopefully that'll bring them some uh, some attention. Do, do you know whether or not after the TNA pay per view on um, on uh, on Sunday night that if the um, if the cable companies or in demand ran ads for this? I do not know because I uh, did not view the. The TNA pay-per-view, and I did not hear anything of it, so I cannot say. Yeah, because that's really what th- what they need. It's because you know, after those pay-per-view shows, they usually have a um, an ad for the next you know pay-per-view of whatever company that is, and then they have you know a, a random previews, and oftentimes you'll see like a TNA pay- uh, preview at the end of a WWE pay-per-view, and vice versa. So, um, so if, if ROH can get an ad at that point, that would be uh, very beneficial. They <laughs> just run the ad says. <laughs> Didn't like the bullshit you just saw? Try Ring of Honor. No. And then show some wacky TNA f- uh, footage. But speaking of TNA, not surprisingly, they yanked all their talent, uh, I guess namely Homicide and Austin Aries from Ring of Honor immediately on the announcement of the pay-per-views. And yeah, I, I really can't blame them. You don't want uh, your guys, you have a contract appearing on another company's pay-per-view. You know, that's that's fine. But um, And then Homicide has done pretty much uh, everything he could in... Uh, 
Aries should be back soon, but we'll get back to that in a sec. But they also pull their talent from any independent that has DVDs produced by a third party. And I know this includes Pro Wrestling Guerrilla because they're they're through high spots. I don't know about Smart Mark Video and its various groups like like Chikara and uh, IWA Mid South. And this is a bit iffier for me because I mean I'm mostly thinking of the wrestlers who you know can't work and can't make you know. Uh, decent money on the indies and if, if tna steps up house shows that that's great but they're not running a whole lot right now and I'm, I'm guessing guys aren't getting raises to make up for this no i pretty much echo your thoughts 100 percent the the ring of honor thing is completely understandable uh the other stuff not so much um and I'm, i especially feel for austin aries right now who's not working in tna and i believe it's not like a paid leave like I, I yeah he's not working he's not getting paid and he apparently can't work any of the major indies, if, if the Smart Mark shows are included. He can't work any of the major indies that would actually pay him decently. So he's kind of, uh, I guess, between a rock and a hard place. But he may be in the stomper outfit, for all we know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another issue entirely. But, um, but yeah, he's, um, I guess, according to The Observer, he wants, uh, he wants out of the TNA contract, which isn't really surprising at all. And I guess we'll just see how... Uh, you know, I mean, if, if TNA keeps him, it's it's definitely despite oh, yeah. our relationship because, you know, they obviously are not happy with him and he's not happy with them and they haven't really been using him much. You know, certainly not to uh, his... They're certainly not playing him to his strengths. So uh, so I guess that's just a wait-and-see deal right there. But, that, would, um, that would be a humongously dickheaded move if they keep him just, to, just so he doesn't go to Ring of Honor because Austin Aries, God bless him, he's not a guy that's going to... Uh, sell pay-per-views for TNA. And if he doesn't want to be there, and if people in management don't want him there, then he probably shouldn't be there. But we're jumping the gun a bit. This is just hypothetical. But I, I really yeah. hope it doesn't come to this. Yeah, well, thinking about that, you know, um, then they'll definitely give him his release because, as we all know, the wrestling business is very rational. Oh, sure, fair, yeah. Everyone is nothing else. Equitable. So, um, but, yeah, um, is, I mean, with Homicide gone, you know, that's, I mean, it's, you know, it's a little, you know, you'll miss him, but at the same time, he really, you're right, he did do everything that he could do, and it's, it was very much time to freshen up the roster. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be in the process of doing that, so hopefully that'll continue. Yep. Speaking of contracts, Ring of Honor signed a bunch of guys to their own contracts, which will allow them to work elsewhere, but not for the WWE or TNA or any group that makes it to pay-per-view. So guys like American Dragon, Nigel, the Briscoes, Roderick Strong, they're not going anywhere, which is very, very good. Yeah, Sapolsky on uh, on various interviews, he kind of did the uh, he did the media quote, the so to the so to speak media rounds uh, yeah. over the past couple of weeks, and he's pretty much pushed the idea that that's the real big story in all of this that ROH mm-hmm. now has contracted wrestlers, so they can they can book around guys, and they don't have to worry about them being snatched up, and that's a uh, yeah that's a that's a very good thing for him and for the company overall, and uh, yeah, so that's that's certainly one bit of. Um, I mean, you know, you have no idea how how much the contracts are for. I'm guessing they're not the sort that would that are going to break the bank for ROH, even if the pay-per-view deal doesn't go well. Yeah. So I think it's pretty much unambiguously good news. Hmm. I would agree. Well, they had the pay-per-view taping on Saturday in Manhattan, but they ran the night before in Hartford, which I did not attend. Uh, these Friday shows are killer as far as traffic and getting there on time. And the the Hartford shows really take on kind of more of a house show quality of sorts, because they take place the night before, you know, the big pay-per-view taping. You can't expect a whole lot to happen. And and I don't blame them for, for setting them up that way, because, I mean, you can't run, like, Chicago one night and then 
Manhattan the next. It's pretty much the Hartford shows, but that you know that kind of makes it a little less appealing. And I think it's been the last three Hartford shows have been that way. They came the night before uh, a man the Manhattan Center show. Yeah, and uh, I guess that's probably how they're going to be packaged um, from now on. But um, but yeah, that, I mean that seems to be a trend with Friday shows in general, except for you know with the fifth year festival shows. Sure. You know you, you get the uh, you get the house show on Friday, and then you get the the main show on on Saturday. And you know, I mean, that's that's fine. You know, they you know, as long as they put in an effort, there's nothing wrong with that. The tough part is when they're trying to sell those DVDs, yeah, which they which they have to sell. And why, you know, they're all the same price. So why are you going to spend the same amount on a on a house show, pretty much, that you would on a, you know, a pay per view, you know, liter- literally or you know, figuratively, with the big shows in the past. Mm-hmm. So uh, I won't go over everything that happened at Hartford. The the big news is Brian Danielson came back. Uh, the No Remorse Corps tried to recruit him. He said no, and he ended up teaming with uh, Eric Stevens and Matt Cross, the remaining members of the Resilience, and uh, they lost when Richards pinned Cross. Uh, other matches of note, Marafuji beat Matt Seidel, Kenta beat Delirious, and Nigel did not wrestle due to a back injury. So uh, it, it was uh, Morishima and BJ Whitmer over the... Uh, no, uh... Is Morshima yeah, and BJ Whitmer losing, losing to the Briscoes in the main event? And the return date is August 24th, the night before, you guessed it, a Manhattan Center show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking forward to a Kenta versus Delirious show, but I hear that it wasn't anything particularly special. So yeah. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It was interesting, though. I mean, I, I pretty much expected that Brian Danielson would end up coming back as a babyface. Mm-hmm. But then the next night, he acted pretty much like a heel, which surprised me. But. I, you know, I guess they'll continue having him kind of be like a dickhead tweener, I guess. Yeah. Now, Austin Aries is uh, out of the uh, resilience, so I guess it's just Eric Stevens and Matt Cross. And What what happened to Jack Evans in all this? Was he uh, abducted by aliens? Is he trapped under something? Because I thought this was going to be like a three-way faction feud, and he's kind of vanished. Well, uh, he was called back unexpectedly to Dragon Gate, apparently, Oops. Uh, last month. He was scheduled to be on this weekend's uh, shows, but he's going to be in Dragon Gate now, I guess, for a few months. So hopefully they'll have some sort of explanation on uh, on the uh, on the DVDs about what's going on. But I, as far as I can tell, he never even started to uh, form, his, form his faction. Hmm. I was thinking it would, he would come back with, with Dragon Gate guys to, to form his uh, little group. Well, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you I don't know how uh, dependable. I'm sure uh, Matt Cross can work all the shows, but Dragon Gate guys may be a little less available. Yeah, especially now that I guess Shingo has uh, gone back permanently. Yes. Yep, he is back. So that will bring us to the uh, Saturday night show in Manhattan. Uh, it was unique in that there was not a card announced beforehand, not one match. You knew... Um, who was going to be on the show, but you didn't know what matches they would be in. Can't really fault this since the, they sold out beforehand. This wasn't a live show, but did that bother you at all that you didn't know what you would be seeing? I, I went back and forth on it. There were debates, you know, on various message boards and whatnot that I read. Um, you know, you had people arguing, you know, this is what ECW used to do a lot of the time with ECW arena shows, and they'd always end up being hot shows. My, my logic is... Um, it's it's not a huge deal. It's not the end of the world that they did it. They did they did have the excitement with the pay per view announcement going in, and you know and you know you trust them enough to put together a good show. But there are definite problems with it. The first problem is 
people's expectations get extremely high mm. when you're not announcing a card and you have it sold out and you're hyping it as the biggest show in your history and it's the first show on pay-per-view. People imagine that there's going to be some some big deal stuff happening and and that can uh, that can hurt if you don't deliver exactly what's in people's imaginations because you know wrestling fans can have some pretty grandiose imaginations. Yes, they do. And the other benefit, I think, to announcing a card is that it makes matches that might not seem as important if you just have it, if you just throw it together right then and there. They can seem more important just based on the anticipation and the hype and the backstory that you're telling about it. Like, for instance, I mean, we can get to it later, but I think the main event would have benefited from actually being hyped in advance as some sort of dream match instead mm. of just being thrown together that night. But overall, it wasn't a failure in any way, and I, you know, I, I don't... I don't endorse them doing it regularly, at least at least not for the main events. Maybe you can you can have the undercard be a surprise, but sure. as far as the main events, I think that generally speaking they should announce them. But 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 still not the end of the world, not didn't didn't ruin the show or anything even close no. to that. Do you think that was this crowd any different cuz this was a pay-per-view taping? Was there was it more excited or Yeah, I would say yes. They were more excited at the beginning to the point where they probably burned themselves out. I mean when when you know they they were clapping and cheering and everything before the show even started before you know before any matches came out before the uh, the ring announcer came out um, and then when the ring announcer did finally come out even though they weren't officially taping the pay per view yet the crowd I guess wanted to immediately set that tone and they started chanting ROH like crazy just when he was doing the uh, you know the announcement saying no you know only streamers are allowed to be thrown yeah. they were just you know, that's right from the beginning the uh, the opening match of um, of Tank Tolan versus Brent Albright got a really unreasonable amount of heat considering what it was. I mean, not, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun match. You know, they both had, you know, they both did a good job of personality, especially, especially Toland. He, uh, you know, he's, he has a really good shtick. You know, Simon Dean improved on significantly. But, um, but it was still a pretty basic WWE house show kind of match that just got, you know, a bigger reaction than some of the later matches just because the crowd was so amped up. Hmm. Do we know what uh, made and did not make pay-per-view? I'm sure this will not be a, uh, a featured pay-per-view match, but I didn't know if that was specified. Um, yeah, um, now we know. Um, uh, during during the show, they announced before some matches, this next match is for pay-per-view, and for some matches, they didn't announce okay. one or the other. But now we know that the matches that did not make pay-per-view were, were that match, the uh, opener of Tank Tolan against Brent Albright. Mm-hmm. Um, Davey Richards against Eric Stevens, which I guess we can just quickly say was a fine match that uh, you know, the crowd got fairly into by the end, but nothing particularly special. Mm-hmm. And then um, Daisy Hayes versus Sarah Del Rey, you know, not surprising. It was pretty much just the... Uh, the post-intermission... The, yeah, the whatever match. And then the um, the four-team uh, tag-team scramble match with uh, El Generico and Kevin Steen against uh, Adam Pierce and Jimmy Rave. That team actually got a surprisingly big reaction. They had... Uh, Adam Pierce's music play, and I guess everyone thought it was going to be Pierce and Hagedorn, and then Ray's music started to play, and it got it got uh, an oddly big pop. Hmm. People were like, yeah, Jimmy Rave, which you don't hear too often, but I guess it was just more excitement that it wasn't uh, Hagedorn and Pierce. Oh, okay. Um, but then also uh, Irish Airborne making their return to the East Coast uh, winning the match, and um, the uh, student team of Pele Primo and uh, Mitch Franklin. And that was a fun match, but but that'll be a DVD exclusive. That is the best of the DVD exclusive matches by far, I would say. All right, so we'll run down the show. You mentioned uh, Brent Albright against uh, T- 
Tank Tolan with Larry Sweeney and Bobby Dempsey. What's the uh, – you, descri- you described it like Tank is like Simon Dean done better, I guess. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, he just – I mean, he's a lot – you know, he did a lot more athletic stuff. He does that. First of all, he, he now comes to the ring, I guess, when Hero's not around, with uh, Bobby Dempsey, who uh, is not, you know, not – as far as appearance goes, in the best of shape. The very beefy and, trainee you've, you've probably seen. Cor- correct. And uh, he uh, has him come out with, um, you know, the bands the, that uh, with, that he does the curls on and stuff. Ah, yes. And he makes him walk on his knees like uh, like Chris Hero might do. Oh. And um, and then Tank does the, uh, to get into the ring, he does the, like the, the Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley-esque jump from the, um, <laughs> from the floor to the apron. Only he spins around and... And lands um, with his uh, with his back facing the inside of the ring. So, and then during the match, he um, he'll do push-ups. He'll he actually one spot that got over really well was he did um, jumping jacks on top of Brent Albright. <laughs> so uh, just just stuff like that. He just he's very entertaining in that role. Um, you know, Brent Albright did pretty much the same thing. Only he was straight up babyface here, playing to the crowd and everything. Mm-hmm. And he ended up beating. Um, Beating tall and clean with the uh, half Nelson suplex, hmm. and you know that's just <laughs> got like I said, just ridiculous heat because everyone was so excited. Must have been like at a TV taping when they have a dark match, but it's someone like Matt Hardy. The crowd goes nuts because you know it's the first thing they yeah, see but, and someone they recognize. Right, exactly. But you know, it's not like the match wasn't wasn't any good. It was it was it was a pretty fun for that style that you know WWE house show opening match style it definitely was a uh, was good placement got the crowd going so it was good hmm. all right and then uh bj whitmer and dave prazak came out i guess to tell the fans to yeah. cheer and bj issued an open challenge yep basically what happened was the crowd i guess you know did their whole um you know crazy like you know let's show the world who we are on pay-per-view thing before the pay-per-view actually started so uh Dave Praise, I can do Whitmer had to come out to remind them, no, 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 this is when the pay-per-view really starts, so you have to get really loud again. Oh. And then uh, Praise did a uh, did a countdown from 10 as he walked to the back. So the pay-per-view opened with B.J. Whitmer in the ring, with the crowd just going absolutely, insanely nuts. So, um, you know, even if you might not be impressed by the sight of B.J. Whitmer, you will be impressed by the uh, enthusiasm of the crowd as the pay-per-view opens, because it's as loud as I've ever heard a live crowd, especially of that size. They were just going insane, you know, cheering, and they chanted ROH, everything like that. And then B.J. Whitmer, your spokesperson, said, welcome to Ring of Honor. So, hmm. I guess that's that. Um, but, you know, he basically said, in Ring of Honor, our wrestling does the talking, so I'm making an open challenge right now, and then instantly out comes Morishima. You know, they just have a match, where, you know, a very short match. I don't know exactly what it was timed as but um, you know, pretty much a squash match, but they both hit big moves, were stiff, just to show that they are different from everything else, and definitely did that. It established their world champion, and it definitely a lot stiffer than pretty much anything you would see in a WWE world title match, so that hmm. right there uh, established them. And, um, yeah, they were off and rolling. BJ Whitmer has been with the company for a long time, and... I don't. I mean, I don't dislike BJ, but I'm not a huge fan. I'm just kind of surprised. I guess he's still around because it's not like well, he's the greatest wrestler in the world. And I've seen guys like you know, Matt Stryker, not the ECW one, the other one with the unibrow. Like he, you know, they stopped using him, and you know, it's just kind of weird to me. I guess. 
Well, my theory on uh, Whitmer is, like, I definitely don't think he's as bad as he's made out to be. He's not yeah. especially good, but he's not he's not awful or anything. No. To me, it's just he's a guy who serves a role. He, um, in, in the CZW feud, he definitely, he definitely improved and enhanced that feud. And, you know, he, he takes a lot of big bumps, you know, to the point where it's ridiculous and he actually should stop very, you know, immediately yeah. before he dies. But, you know, he's a guy you can count on to, for that sort of thing. And I'm, you know, Matt Stryker wasn't. And, you know, he just, I don't know, it's, it's you know, I mean, they, they're smart enough not to continually try to protect him. He was pretty much bowled over here. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, lamb to the slaughter for the, you know, in the very opening match of uh, the first pay-per-view. So it's not that, but he's, I think he's just, I, I, know, I agree with him continuing, continuing to be on the roster because I think he has his place. And um, as long as he doesn't get a big push and it's not so intrusive, I don't really have a problem with it. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then uh, we had some visitors after the match. Yeah, uh, for all the uh, the talk of uh, ROH uh, t- using its wrestling to talk, they had a pretty long <laughs> interview <laughs> segment. And they talked. Almost immediately. But, um, but um, yeah, Nigel McGuinness came out immediately following the match, and... Um, he challenged Morishima, and then to a extremely loud pop, Brian Danielson came out mm-hmm. to instantly Dragon Chance best in the world chance. He uh, he said that he was the uh, he was the champion for over 15 months. He'd beaten McGinnis, he'd beaten Samoa Joe, he'd beaten everyone else, Homicide, and he wanted the title shot. So then um, it ended up with um, with Morishima and Danielson, the double team attacking uh, McGinnis. And um, and they both they all went to the back to be continued a little bit later. So it was kind of like um, oh, I, I guess a bit like like a show long storyline if you were just tuning in for the first time. I guess pretty much, and mm-hmm. it was very much like the opening to an episode of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> yeah, all right. Especially Monday Night Raw from like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah, it's kind of an odd comparison, but. Uh, let's see. Up next, we had Rocky Romero against Naomichi Marufuji. How was this one? This was the uh, the sleeper match of the show. I uh, I would not have expected it to be this good. This is this is pretty much the real opening match, so to speak, of um of the pay per view since the first one was pretty much a squash and an angle. And uh, if 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 we're counting this as the opening match, it's uh, one of the better opening matches in ROH history. They uh, you know it's it's. By far the best singles performance I've seen out of Rocky Romero, at least in, in ROH. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess you could argue they did too much for an opening match, but you know they never lost the crowd. The matches following it didn't lose the crowd, but they just did you know, tons of near falls. They had a great exchange where um, Mara Fuji hit uh, his, uh, his super kick on Romero, and before Romero collapsed, he uh, hit like a back kick to Mara Fuji. He did his, um, you know, and they both collapsed, and they got a uh, big standing ovation for that. There was a spot where um, Mara Fuji was on the top rope and Romero came up and you know, crailed his arm and did the kind of like rolling into the arm bar thing that he does. He did that off the top rope. That got a big pop. And uh, it, oh, there was one point where um, Romero was standing on the apron and, um, and Mara Fuji jumped onto the top rope and then jumped down with a, uh, with a kick onto Romero, knocking him off the uh, apron. So that was a, got a big pop. And it ended with uh, you know, lots of exchanges, the... Uh, the, uh, the the coast to coast drop kick got uh, got a near fall, then Romero got another near fall, and then finally uh, Mar Fuji uh, hit a um, hit a out of nowhere uh, Shiranui 
and uh, got the pin with that. And big standing ovation for both guys, and a excellent way to pay to start off the pay per view. Good mission statement kind of match because it was uh, definitely a kind of match that you wouldn't see in WWE and TNA right now. Hmm. All right, and then up next we had looks like more talking. <laughs> yep, uh, McGinnis came back out. Actually, it was odd because uh, Bobby Cruz said, "Please welcome Nigel McGinnis," and uh, people were like, "Whoa." <laughs> I think, uh, so uh, McGinnis mm. came out to a you know lesser reaction than he got the first time. Yeah, it, it seemed it seemed weird because it seemed like they could have just done this whole thing all in one segment. But um, but basically McGinnis just came out, uh, called out uh, Danielson and uh, Morishima back to the ring. They attacked him again. Then Kenta came out and made the save, and uh, Morishima and uh, Danielson kind of ran away. And and Nigel got on the mic and challenged Danielson and Morishima to the tag match later that night. And uh, and that was that. Huh. All right. Simple enough. And, uh, oh, uh, I was saying, up next we have Davey Richards and Eric Stevens in a non-pay-per-view special. Yep. And uh, like I said before, it was, uh, you know, a fine match. Not, not the most heat at the beginning, but they got the crowd fairly into it. Um, you know, would have been fine on the pay-per-view, you know, or off. It's a... Uh, you know, just just a just a solid, you know, better than average match that uh mm-hmm. did a good job. There's nothing not too much to talk about here. And uh Richards won cleanly with his um with I don't know what it's called, but his uh his arm submission that he does. Yeah, the key lock or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if it has a funny name, but yeah. Right. Alright, then we had the ROH tag titles. We had Briscoe's against Claudio Castagnoli and Matt Seidel. Yeah, this whole thing was um, this whole thing in the match, and then the post match was uh, definitely the highlight of the show. It's if, if anyone's going to be talking about this pay per view when it's over, they're going to be talking about this. Um, you know, the Briscoes right now are just on fire. They're they're uh, the most consistent act in the company in terms of performance right now. You know, considering Danielson's only really had a couple of matches, they're the uh, they're the top act in the company, I would say, mm-hmm. and they're consistently over too. So that's uh, a good package. So they're they're pretty much a main event act now, and they uh, kept their streak going. They had a you know it's fairly long, really good match with uh, Claudio and Seidel. It started with uh, just Claudio coming out, and actually I think he um, he kind of broadened his act even for a pay per view. He uh, he cut his hair. He was wearing a pink suit, and he uh, he took the whole hey thing to the next level because he he did the shtick where he was like where he got the crowd to say along with him. He's like, I have something, too. And then the crowd went, say, uh-huh. my uh, my, ta- my mystery tagging partner today. And then, you know, just to get the crowd to sing along with him. And then he announced Matt Seidel. And then their match, just too many high spots to call. I think probably the uh, highlight high spot was they dumped both Briscoes outside of the ring. And then Seidel jumped up on uh, on Claudio's shoulders and Claudio kind of walked backwards toward the uh, toward the ropes, and Fidel jumped off of his shoulders onto both Briscoes. And that got a big reaction. Um, you know, tons of near falls. Um, the uh, the final spot was the springboard doomsday device, uh, which I haven't seen them actually win matches with too often. But I guess that's their one of their new finishers, or maybe they just want to have a lot of finishers so they can have more exciting near falls, but I don't know. But they ended up winning with that huge standing ovation. Uh, you know, even a few match of the year chance. And uh, yep, the match of the night. I would, I think, almost everyone who was there agrees with that, with a few exceptions. But yeah, this is this. If you're watching the pay per view for a great match, this is the one to watch it for. All right, sounds good. And 
they went to intermission, but we had a special guest before that. Well, actually, I should mention before we get to this, the post-match angle from the Briscoes match. Oh, I forgot was, about that. It's the yeah, that was, yes, that, was all, that was the other hottest thing on the show. Basically, they had Dave Prezak and, um, and Lenny Leonard standing on the stage just talking about how great ROH pay-per-view is, how great the fans are, and the crowd is going nuts. And then appearing next to Prezak and Leonard were uh, Kevin Steele and El Generico, and they called out the Briscoes from the stage. They said, when are we getting our title shots? And the Briscoes kind of called them out right then and there. So they made their way through the crowd to the ring, and they had brawl. Um, they had tons of guys from the locker room break it up, and they, they pulled apart. Um, they pulled everyone apart. And then it was just um, Steen and Generico left in the ring with the, the guys who pulled them apart, and they started hitting their big spots on them. And it was really impressive. Um, among the guys taking the, uh, taking the spots were um, Sugarfoot, Alex Payne, one of the students, uh, then also, um, faces we haven't seen in ROH in a while, Azriel and Deranged. Really? And Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it was Deranged. I'm positive it was Azriel. But they, they took some big bumps. Well, I think the guy who I'm pretty sure was Deranged, um, Steen took him and kind of flung him over his head into the turnbuckles, and he, and he hit off the turnbuckles, then fell out of the ring. It was sick. And then Steen, I mean, Generico hit the uh, brain buster on Azriel. He folded him like an accordion. And this really made Steen and Generico look like stars, which uh, since since the uh, show in um, in Philly, uh, the 50th Festival show, and they had that match with the Briscoes, and then especially the uh, the angle they had with the Briscoes last month, last, excuse me, last month in New Jersey, uh, I was sure they were destined to become stars in ROH, especially uh, Steen. Just been, his personality is he's just really perfected that his whole act in the, in recent months, and. Um, mm. Then everyone was uh, was laid out in the uh, in the aisle way, and they were still holding the Briscoes back. And then Generico got onto the uh, top turnbuckle and did a somersault dive onto a whole pile of people, and just everyone went insane. Then they brawled to the back, and they ended up I think brawling in the crowd a little bit more, but I couldn't totally see. Just a home run segment, and it's going to be what everyone's talking about when the pay per view airs. And I believe we will see that match at the next. Um pay-per-view taping in Chicago, so there does seem to be some continuity between the uh, pay-per-view shows. Yep. All right, and then we headed to intermission and the special guest. Correct, and this was a genuine surprise to me, and it seemed like a genuine surprise to everyone else there. Homicide um, made his way out, along with uh, Julius Smokes. Instant Please Don't Go Chance, which uh, Smokes pretty much joined in on. And uh, Homicide just... I mean, he was, it wasn't like a, um, you know, like a long thought out speech like some of the guys have at the end of, uh, the end of their ROH runs. It wasn't, no one was crying. You know, he didn't promise to bake cookies for everyone like Paul London did. Uh, it was just kind of like Thomas, I just shook his head, you know, just said, said how thankful he was to be in Ring of Honor. Uh, the crowd made fun of TNA and Homicide uh, just said, haven't you guys ever seen WCW before? And that uh, kind of joke didn't go over all that well, but whatever. Wow. And uh, um, yeah, just 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 a nice moment. The, cr- got, the crowd got to go nuts. You know, that was one that was one thing I was upset about. Um, um, when they announced that the TNA guys are going to be pulled, was that guys like Homicide wouldn't get to say their goodbye, especially considering this was a show in New York City that Homicide had been advertised for. Mm-hmm. So I felt you know I felt that was kind of a bummer, but. You know, it was good that he got to show up, do his... And then and also it was nice because it was like a special thing just for the people in attendance because apparently this will never 
this will never air, at least not until uh, not until Homicide is out of TNA or something. Yeah, so, I guess they can air it on in the DVD. And not on the pay-per-view, and Sapolsky on Wrestling Observer Live said not online and not on the DVD either. So, um, so it was hmm. just a bonus. Yep. Um, I wonder, it was, you know, just a nice moment. Oh, I wonder if they'll do stuff like that, the different pay-per-view tapings, stuff only the, the fans live can see as, I guess, enticement to get them to uh, attend. Yeah, that would be a... That'd be, I, I guess, that's just a guess. I don't know, but... Yeah. Anyway, uh, post-intermission, we had Sarah Del Rey against Daisy Hayes. Sounds like the usual post-intermission popcorn match that was short and uh, probably not a lot to say. Yep, really not a lot to say. Uh, Del Rey won. Um, I don't even remember with what. I think it was with her um, with her submission, the like the double arm submission that he does that she does. And um, yeah, just just short. You know, the crowd wasn't too into it, but they weren't heckling or anything like that either. And, yeah, just nothing much to say. Hmm. All right, then we had a tag team scramble. We had, uh, you had ran down the participants. I'll run them down again. Mitch Franklin, Pelly Primo, against Irish Airborne, against the aforementioned Generico and Kevin Steen, and last in, I guess, leads to Adam Pierce and Jimmy Rave. Yeah, this could easily be on the pay-per-view if they wanted to put it there. It would it'd certainly be uh, among the highlights. It was a, um, you know, really hot high-spot match, not not too long. You know, just they kept it fast-paced. They got all the guys on the show hit big spots. Irish Airborne, they looked. I, I think they looked better than they do. They've done. They, yeah, they have on other occasions. Um, they hit a, a double springboard acai moonsault to the floor onto a bunch of guys. Um, Steve and Generico ended up winning. Everyone, everyone looked fine. You know, the the students are definitely coming along. They seem to, uh, especially Primo. They seem to do well in these high spot matches. You know, it's it'd be. Sure. It'll be interesting to see how they, you know, one of them would do in a, you know, a long story type match. I guess they're not ready mm-hmm. for that yet, but, but you know, they they looked fine and yeah, it's just it's just a fun high spot match, and uh, you know, one of the highlights of the second half of the show. All right, and uh, what sounds like not a highlight was Delirious versus Roderick Strong. Yeah, this was the uh, this is the disappointment of the show. I think this is another match where. If they had announced it in advance, it might have had a little bit more anticipation, a little bit more heat. And also, I'm—I would almost guarantee that if it was in the first half of the show, it would have had a lot more anticipation and heat. Mm-hmm. But the crowd was starting to get burned out by this point. Um, you know, you know, it's not that the match was bad in any way. It was—you know—what they did was fine. It was just a very basic storytelling match, and I guess the crowd just wasn't wasn't really into seeing this, that story at that point in time. And you know they they worked it pretty long and and you know it was I mean it was slow but it wasn't like excruciating plotting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know it's pretty much just Roderick doing his heel stuff. And I wouldn't even say the crowd was was totally against it either. There were certainly parts of the crowd that were clapping for Delirious. Everyone liked chanting Roderick at Strong. You know so that's a that's a new chant that's really getting over these days. And um, but but just you know a lot of a lot of the crowd just was you know wanted, just wanted to get to the main event. It had been a long show, and they wanted to see some more high spots because they had seen a lot already. And so there were certain sections of the crowd that chanted, "This match sucks." They were small, but they were vocal enough to where, you know, you'll be able to hear it on the pay per view unless they go out of their way to cover it up and talk over it and stuff. Hmm. So um, you know, too bad for them. But you know, it might be it might end up being all right if it ends up on pay per view, and maybe they can clip the match down a little bit. Too, but you know, still not a bad match. The finish was pretty good, and um, 
and you know Strong ended up winning, but um, but yeah, it was a um, you know it was it was it was disappointing, but not not terrible. All right, and that brings us to the main event: the previously made Morishima and American Dragon against Nigel McGinnis and Kenta in, I guess, a pro wrestling Noah special. Yep, dip the uh, heavyweight in the junior against the heavyweight in the junior. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is the type of tag match that you don't see in any of the other promotions, so it was a nice thing to feature as the main event. I've heard mixed reactions to this match. I thought it ended up being a, you know, a, a great match. I would say not a, uh, not a match of the year or anything like that, but a legitimately great match. Um, there were there were definitely some off spots in the middle, right? Like there was a spot where. Um, where Danielson was was fighting with McGinnis and Morshima was fighting with Kenta, and I guess Kenta and Morshima finished their spot before um, McGinnis and Danielson finished theirs, and I guess Morshima was supposed to knock McGinnis out of the ring or something like that, Oops. and it wasn't time yet, so Morshima just kind of stood there, and that was a little bit awkward, but they could easily shoot around that and not show that to where it doesn't look so bad. But I think the crowd was kind of like, ooh, on that. <laughs> and then there was a... Uh, a spot where McGinnis, um, McGinnis were, went to DDT Morishima on the apron, which I believe he did in their uh, singles match last month, but I'm not I'm not positive. But just it didn't work out too well. Like more, um, Morishima landed way after McGinnis did. But, uh, you know, that won't be too big of a deal. But, you know, you could tell, I think, it seemed that way at least, that McGinnis was hurt, like they, like they said he was, because he, was, he wasn't quite as crisp as he normally is. Mm-hmm. But... But you know, it's still. But you know, a lot of there were a lot of great spots near the end. Um, the big spot was um, was Kenta in the uh, top rope Falcon Arrow on uh, on Danielson for a big near fall. The crowd went nuts for that one. Um, Danielson ended up. Uh, uh, Kenta went for the uh, went for the go to sleep, but Danielson on the way down actually caught Kenta's leg. But uh, and he he ended up getting the win with the cattle mutilation. And then I guess the the show closing angle was that. Morishima then just went nuts and he attacked Danielson and he attacked McGinnis even after McGinnis shook his hand. So I guess he's the kind of out of control loner champion that nobody can stop. Hmm. And uh, sets up Kenta versus Danielson for the next pay per view. And all in all, a very, very, very good match to uh, close out the pay per view. How is Morishima doing as uh, as world champ? Do people buy into him? Are they more familiar with him now? Um, I think so. I think at the um, at the last New Jersey show where he wrestled McGinnis, that match got over very, very well. And apparently his matches in the Midwest got over well with uh, Aries and uh, Shingo. Shing- the Shingo match, you know, you wouldn't have even expected that to go as well as it did, but apparently that ended up being a great match. And in New York, you know, from from the beginning he was over, so it's hard to tell based on this show. But, you know, it looks like he's he's being accepted and he's definitely something different. I don't think he's... I don't, you know, he certainly hasn't had the caliber of matches that Danielson's had yet, but you know, it's only been, only been what three months, so he deserves mm. a little bit more time than that. And um, but he certainly, he certainly seems worthy, and I think it can, it can work. Um, the thing overall that I found interesting about the pay per view as a whole, though, was that, you know, I, it, it definitely, like, it definitely didn't go the way that I expected it to go. It wasn't it wasn't barely legal at all. You know, barely legal, if you'll remember, they started off with uh with a tag title change and then they had a big dream match with Sabu and Taz and mm-hmm. Sabu and uh and and Rob Van Dam turned and Taz turned face and then they had the big climactic title 
and clearly this was not what they were going for here. This I would like I would almost describe it if this makes any sense as they did as good while doing as little as they could on the first mm-hmm. show. Uh, just you know they they wanted to put their best foot forward, but it, in a lot of ways it was a setup show for the uh, for the next pay per view. Sure. All right, so sounds like a pretty good show overall, and once they, they edit out some kinks, sounds like a pretty killer pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially the, the first half before intermission was just out of this world. And the second half, you know, had its, had its slow points, but it ended on a high note. And, well, yeah, like you said, once with editing, I think it'll be a, a great pay-per-view, one of, the, one of the best pay-per-views of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not, maybe not easily the best, like it, like it would have been, Possibly last year because there weren't as many good pay-per-views last year, but it was, um, yeah, definitely worth your ten bucks, in my opinion. Sure, I will definitely. I have fallen very behind in my ROH uh, watching, largely due to getting uh, an on-demand channel in twenty-four-seven because it's while well, a lot of the wrestling isn't up to ROH standards. It's pretty cool having uh, you know wrestling show up on my TV, you know, every week for not free, but for a very inexpensive amount of money and having that on demand, that's uh, an option I'm getting used to. And I'm glad to see ring of honor make that step. Yeah. Damn time. Warner is uh, killing me with the uh, holdout for WWE 24 seven, but that's another story. Oh yeah. I could do, believe me. I could do like 10 shows on 24 seven, but sounds a uh, good stuff. And, uh, how is the, the faction war going is, do you think they're going to try to hold off till Aries gets back? Because, Matt Cross and Eric Stevens, God bless them, you kind of need that uh, uh, star mixed in there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see uh, I didn't see uh, Friday's show, so I don't know how that went. I guess they went over in that match, the uh, Stevens and Danielson and uh, Cross. But mm-hmm. from what I've seen, that the faction warfare is pretty much just the the No Remorse core dominating, and not much going on with the uh, the other side. So it probably hasn't gotten off the ground like they might have hoped it would have. Stevens was was pretty over in New York, you know, not over like crazy, but people definitely get a kick out of the choo-choo thing. Mm. So, um, so I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I would say right now it doesn't look like it's going especially well, but time will tell. Uh, I see they have T-shirts for the No Remorse Corps and the Resilience, both of which are kind of eh. And still don't like either of those names. They should have just gone... Like they should have gone Japanese style and just done a, a wacky nonsensical name like, like Crimson Dirt or uh, you know the like the Sunshine Gauntlet or you know just something you're like well that sounds kind of cool but you know I don't know what Le- that means the Leather Phones or something sure I mean the Resilience sounds like the world's shittiest emo band but yeah I don't know and the uh, the No Remorse chord doesn't sound too far off <laughs> I don't know why No Remorse just you know No Remorse the the core in there well, I don't know. No remorse corpse, but yeah. So another pay per view taping in July. I know the next show is actually in my neck of the woods in Roxbury, which uh, bring a bulletproof vest if you're headed there. Only matches we know right now are let's see, it's Morshima against a Briscoe. That would be Jay Briscoe in a grudge match of Mark against Kevin Steen, and a four corner survival of Nigel versus Chris Hero versus Claudio versus Mike Quackenbush, and probably a whole lot more. Yep, um, I believe, um, yeah, but Jay Briscoe against Morishima for the title, I believe, and that, um, yeah, that, that can be pretty good. Um, Jay Briscoe had some great title matches against Samoa Joe in, uh, mm-hmm. especially the cage match in 2004. 
I would argue that was Samoa Joe's first really, really great title defense. Hmm. And um, so, I, you know, I'm interested to see what he can do against Morishima. That's right. So that's pretty much all I had, unless you had anything you wanted to uh, bring up about ROH. No, I'm just, you know, I'm just, just that I'm looking forward to seeing what the new talent does. You know, Mike Quackenbush and Jigsaw are going to be back um, mm-hmm. for that weekend. Uh, it's going to be Jigsaw and Quackenbush against uh, Steen and uh, the Generico in Philadelphia, which hopefully the show will be going to. And I'm definitely interested in seeing where the, how that goes because I heard they did very, very well in uh, in their first uh, weekend in ROH. And I think that it's very important that they uh, that they have a, a roster now of charismatic guys because a lot of the most charismatic guys, honestly, have gone now. Let's yeah. Joe gone, Cole Cabana gone, Homicide gone. I wouldn't say Christopher Daniels is especially charismatic, but at least he has a had a persona for him. Mm-hmm. So um, they're definitely they definitely need to uh, to work on things in that regard for television. But other than that, I I think I think they have a pretty good shot of uh, having a good rest of the year. The pay per views, and I'm not completely optimistic on how many buys they'll do, but who knows if that really even matters. All right. On that note, I guess we shall wrap it up. I thank you for being on as always, and uh, we will get you back very soon to discuss more Ring of Honor. Cool. If I can drag myself to a show at some point, we shall see. Yep. I encourage everyone to visit JoeVersusTheWorld.com and TheCubsFan.com for a full archive of shows, including a bunch of shows with Matt about Ring of Honor. All the high points of 2006 and 2007 so far have been covered. It's a little audio history of the promotion. Oh. I highly recommend you check it out. And, Matt, do you have any final words? Nope. Just uh, thanks again for having me on. Thanks again for listening. And uh, have a uh, have a happy uh, Memorial Day, I guess. Even though that's a that's right. A very happy Memorial Day when that comes. So <laughs> I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you soon.